Sarah Chow from Bond Supermart, an online platform that provides you with information on bonds, transparent prices, tools, and research at your fingertips. Welcome to another episode of our podcast series where we share with you about new bond issues and hold discussions on the fixed income market. Today I have with me Dexter Tan, Senior Fixed Income Analyst from the Bond Supermart team at IFAS Singapore. Dexter was actually our first ever guest on our podcast series. Back then, we spoke about the cinematic industry, um, and today we'll actually be focusing on bank bonds. Hey Sarah, it's great to be with you again. The cinematic industry is actually undergoing a structural change uh, as we speak, and some companies may actually run out of cash soon. Honestly speaking, I do not wish for this to happen because we really need some form of entertainment in this gloomy virus climate. So it's interesting that you mentioned banks because banking is actually one of the world's oldest profession and these institutions actually help to facilitate the creation of money in this fiat monetary system. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you back with us as well. So with bonds or, you know, well, investments really, there's always so much to take into consideration. But what do you think is the first thing that we should know about investing in bonds issued by banks? So I know this sounds like a very uh, general statement, but I think the first thing to know, in my opinion, is that investors should really understand bank securities because they can be very complex uh, financial instruments. So the underwritten terms may be complicated, so it's a good practice to read the prospectus before investing so as to have a good idea of the payment mechanics and the structure of the bond. But Dexter, to be very honest, right, the prospectus is extremely long. You know, I've tried going through some of them while looking for information, and it was one of those things where, you know, if you're lucky, okay, you get 100 pages. Um, If you're not, it could be well over 600 pages. So is there an alternative for regular investors who don't really have the time to look through all these pages of the prospectus? So uh, I I don't think there's any shortcuts, Sarah. I mean, besides reading the offering documents, I we can actually go to bondsupermart.com because all the key information about the bond is mentioned on the website. If you want to have a brief idea of how the issue is performing, then maybe you can look at the price-to-book ratio of the bank. Um, usually, banks with high price-to-book ratio tend to have a strong capital-raising ability. Uh, that aside, you can also look at the credit default swap market. So they actually help to give a good indication of the market's appetite for the bank's uh, paper. So, for example, you can look at the spread or even the level of the CDS. Uh, well, I was actually looking for a shortcut, but thank you for that plug on Bond Supermart Dex. Um, so, could you run us through what are the common types of bonds that are issued by banks? So, there are actually a few uh, categories for these bank instruments. Um, they include uh, covered bonds, uh, bonds that are securitized from an underlying pool of assets, a senior secured debt, unsecured senior debt, senior non-preferred debt, uh, subordinated debt, and contingent convertible bonds. So these uh, contingent convertible bonds are also commonly referred to as COCOs. COCOs, right? So these actually are bonds that convert from well, bonds to equity um, when, the bond, when the bank falls below a certain capital ratio and this um, in turn acts as a safeguard for the banks, right? because this enables them to remove the debt as um, liability from the balance sheet and then convert it into equity. So it sounds good for the banks, but what about investors? Um, Focos are actually high-yielding securities, so they provide investors a high income and high returns. 
Uh, some investors actually view them as a alternative to corporate high yield, which is usually issued by uh, companies with weak balance sheets. So on the other hand, uh, allocators like investing in cocos because they, they're actually issued by entities with strong balance sheets. Uh, credit rating agencies actually assign speculative ratings to these instruments as in, in most incident, instances, they are actually ranked uh, subordinated to more senior debt. From a risk standpoint, uh, cocos may actually be riskier than equities. And that's because uh, the embedded uh, options of these uh, securities can result in very volatile market values during distress or circumstances. Okay, speaking of embedded options, could you take us through some of the common features of bonds issued by banks? Some of the common features uh, in bank notes can also be found in uh, typical bonds. So for example, um, firstly, call and put features. Um, Secondly, uh, variable coupon rates uh, tied to interest rate benchmarks. And uh, I think most of them are also rated by uh, credit rating agencies. However, there are actually two unique features uh, common to most tier 1 and tier 2 eligible bonds uh, issued by big banks. So the first unique feature is convertibility. So certain notes have a convertible trigger that essentially converts the security into equity. And the second unique feature is a loss absorption clause, whereby the bond is written down in certain situations. The loss absorption sounds quite scary though. Um, It basically means that that investors won't be getting the money back, right? Uh, Like a default without actually going to a default? You know, under what circumstances will these usually happen? It happens at the so-called point of non-viability. So this non-viability trigger is a matter of contention as the definition varies with different regulator and different uh, jurisdiction. For many of the Basel Tier 1 eligible instruments that are issued by European institutions, the trigger event for a partial or full write-down is generally defined as 5.125% or 7%. Uh, meaning that if the CT1 ratio of the issuer falls below 5.125% or 7%, the notes are automatically written down or converted into shares. And how common is it for bank bonds to include this feature? So it's pretty common because uh, it's actually a basal recommendation. So I I would say it can be found in most, if not all, bonds that are issued to satisfy uh, regulatory uh, requirements. Right. The fact that banks need to borrow from investors um, may actually sound like quite a funny concept. You know, after all, banks are where we usually borrow our money from, you know, be it for like a mortgage or for funding our own businesses, for car loans, etc. What do banks typically do with all this money that they borrow? You mentioned capital requirements as one of it just now? Yeah, um, companies... Uh, frequently use these proceeds uh, for finance, refinancing, uh, general corporate purposes, and sometimes in the examples of large banks, uh, the funds are actually used to satisfy uh, regulatory uh, capital requirements. But frankly speaking, uh, those uh, lenders do not really need to issue debt uh, per se, but as they can actually go to the discount window or any central banking facility when, whenever there's a shortfall. So maybe I shall give some context to what uh, regulatory uh, capital requirements is. So back then in the 2009 Great Financial Crisis, um, the Basel Committee on Banking Supervision uh, published 
the Basel Tree uh, reforms uh, in 2010, and they actually. And these reforms were actually aimed at strengthening the quality of banking assets and increasing the required level of regulatory uh, capital. So Basel III guidelines uh, introduce a framework uh, by specifying the roles of Tier 1 capital, also known as a going concern uh, capital and Tier 2 uh, capital, which is gone concern uh, capital. So this framework uh, imposes a mandate uh, that Capital uh, instruments must be able to take uh, haircuts at the point of non-viability before uh, taxpayers receive losses. So now uh, banks have to set aside uh, capital to meet these uh, Basel re recommendations. And this has resulted in a proliferation of Tier 1 and Tier 2 bonds that are being issued by large uh, financial institutions. That's really interesting. Um, can we chat a bit more? about these capital requirements for the banks. The three most typical ones I hear, um, and that you mentioned as well, are your CT1, your Tier 2, and your AT1, right? So could you break this down for us? Why is this so important? Sure. This is actually important uh, to AT1 and Tier 2 bond investors uh, because the level of CT1 uh, pretty much determines the probability of whether the bonds will be converted or written down and whether the bank should actually issue more AT1 and Tier 2 notes to meet these uh, regulatory uh, limits. So in Europe, for example, uh, lenders have to comply with MREL targets, which really means uh, minimum requirement for own funds and eligible liabilities. And if a bank is falling short of Tier 1 capital, they can, there's a high likelihood that they may actually issue more uh, AT1 notes. So total regulatory capital actually consists of uh, Tier 1 capital and Tier 2 capital. So Tier 1 capital includes uh, common equity, CT1, and additional Tier 1, AT1. So there are certain bank uh, elements that qualify as AT1. So for example, like junior subordinated contingent convertible notes and uh, securities that are issued by subsidiaries that actually meet the AT1 criteria. So if I place this into perspective, between these three, your CT1, AT1, uh, Tier 2, can I say that ideally as a bond investor, you would want to invest in Tier 2 debt? Because, you know, in a, in a creditor hierarchy that is of a higher level than CT1 and AT1? Tier 2 is not really always preferred, uh, so that's not really uh, entirely true. Um, it depends on the yield, the issuer risk profile, as well as uh, future risk expectations. So if the bank has a high credit risk profile and you expect credit quality to deteriorate in future, then it's better to invest in more senior bonds such as uh, senior preferred debt or even tier 2 capital. But if you think that the credit risk of the issuer has peaked and uh, credit quality will actually improve, then it's better to invest in the higher yielding uh, securities uh, within the capital structure. Right, that's a very fair consideration. A common phrase that I um, hear from investors and see on forums are that banks are often too big to fail and therefore, you know, very safe to invest in, especially their bonds. So as an analyst, what do you think of that? So that's actually uh, quite, it's a good, it's an interesting question. Um, uh, yeah, the, the world's largest lenders are actually, I think, too big to fail uh, in my view. So that is why we have 
like the Financial Stability Board, they create a list of globally, systemically uh, important banks uh, and they publish this list every year. So a failure of one of these banks could actually pose a threat to the global banking system. So it becomes a systemic risk. And that is why I think like senior bonds uh, from certain big banks uh, within this list has have a very uh, low risk of default. So they're actually worth investing uh, compared to other companies. So on the other hand, uh, small banks are actually not too big to fail. So we really have to be careful when investing in institutions with a small uh, asset base. So in, in general, uh, the smaller banks ha do not have to comply with uh, capital requirements and they do not have much uh, counterparty exposures. So in most cases, the regulator will shut the bank down and when the equity is near zero or even negative. So, so small bank failures are actually quite uh, common in some countries. So like Germany, they actually have more than 1,500 banks in operation. And according to my estimate, I think the country has an average closure, closure rate of about 30 banks every year. Oh, 30 banks a year sounds like quite a lot to me. I mean, is this a normal figure? You also mentioned that um, the regulator shuts the bank down when equity is near zero or negative. Could you elaborate a bit more on why and how this happens? So when, when the bank's equity uh, becomes negative, so it, it means that the liabilities actually exceed the value of their assets. So when, when this happens, uh, the bank actually has no capital to pay its depositors. So due to a high level of non-performing loans or a poor market environment, the, the value of the loan book or the investment portfolio has dropped below its funding base. So the regulator takes over the bank and a restructuring process is actually started to ensure the highest recovery value uh, for stakeholders. So back to the question of uh, 30 banks a year, I mean, this is really a uh, average figure. So it means that more than 30 banks close down in bad years, but less than 30 banks close down in good years. So it works out to be a closure rate of 30 banks uh, between uh, 2008 and uh, June uh, this year. Right, yeah. And you've been covering um, these German banks quite recently, right? So your articles on LBBW and Commerce Bank. I wanted to ask, is there a reason why you've been looking at German banks more closely during this period? I mean, it's an exciting period for a lot of investors who are looking for opportunities. So, so why specifically German banks? One of the key reasons uh, we started to look at German banks is because we noticed that the long-term sovereign yields have actually been creeping upwards. So as you know, uh, an upward sloping curve is actually beneficial to banks. The second reason is that we observed that the prices of commerce bank bonds actually have fallen uh, due to some uh, negative corporate development at the company. But uh, actually the ratio of non-performing loans in Germany in general have been reasonably low. So uh, we thought that the banks were, the bonds were actually uh, quite attractive at that point in time. You mentioned these three German issuers a lot in your articles, um, LBBW, Commerzbank, Deutsche Bank. Could you share how you actually whittled down your comparisons to these three? Is it because they are the largest in Germany? Yes, it's because they are one of the largest lenders in Germany. The three banks have outstanding bonds in the Sing dollar market and we tend to focus on uh, Sing dollar issuers, which is why I mentioned them in our articles. Investors who are interested in the banks, uh, I mean, if, if they like, they can actually compare them against the broader uh, German banking universe. 
So which of these three issuers do you find actually provides the best value right now? I've not covered uh, Deutsche Bank, but uh, I like uh, Commerce Bank right now uh, compared to LBBW. Um, in the capital structure among the subordinated bonds, uh, I think the CMZB uh, tier 2 bond has the highest yield to maturity, so that will be my choice uh, for now. Uh, with respect to AT1s, I would like to perhaps see more progress in the bank's uh, capital level and the level of profitability before uh, considering investing in these uh, instruments. Dexter, you mentioned Basel 3 earlier. I think that's Basel 4 now, right? Um, I recall that it seeks to actually increase the capital flow as well as leverage ratios. What do you think it will do for the change in uh, bank capital level and the levels of profitability that you mentioned earlier? So apart from uh, Basel regu- regulations, uh, profitability and uh, bank capital are also driven by external factors and that is actually linked to uh, capital inflows, the reputation and the franchise uh, value of the bank. So it's it's pretty tough to say what's going to happen uh, in Basel IV. Um, my best guess is that uh, banks would perhaps set more uh, capital aside for regulations uh, over time and Basel IV will actually improve the comparability of bank capital ratios across uh, different uh, jurisdictions. If we speak more specifically about um, return on assets and return on equity, um, how would that be impacted? Instinctively, um, ROAs and ROEs will be under pressure if regulatory uh, costs become more onerous for the banks. Um, However, regulations will not likely reach a point whereby it will starve the bank of profitability. Uh, Recently, the Basel Committee on the Banking Supervision has actually postponed the implementation of final capital requirements by a year. So this is done to preserve the financial stability in view of the recent virus outbreak. So many uh, regulators around the world have likewise uh, deferred their original uh, Basel implementation reforms by 12 months. So as a bond investor, should I like these new capital requirements or no? So new, okay, new, new capital requirements are actually positive for bond investors overall. So these rules actually act as a threshold for issuers to ensure that they have a basic level of loss-absorbing capacity and a reasonable level of capital that is tied to their risk appetite. The liquidity coverage ratio, for example, helps banks to ensure that there is a good proportion of highly liquid assets to cover capital outflows in a contingent liquidity event. Okay, and so last question before we go. As an analyst, what are the most important criteria for you when looking at whether a bank bond is worth investing in or not? Um, aside from yield, of course. Um, bank bonds are actually worth investing if valuations are cheap and if the country profiles of the bank's uh, loan exposures or activities are actually projected to improve in future. So securities that are traded in the sing dollar market may, may not be as liquid as the G3 market, uh, but there are times whereby the bonds are actually mispriced. So in other circumstances, uh, valuations can become cheap uh, due to broad market volatility. So back to the point on country profile. So the financial strength of a bank is actually linked to the macroeconomic environment. And uh, the, so the lender's credit profile will actually uh, move in tandem uh, with the progress of the economy. Okay, very wise words. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dexter. 
Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Uh, hope to see you again soon. This is brought to you by Bond Supermart. I'm Sarah Chia, and our guest analyst with us today is Dexter Tan from the Bond Supermart team at IFA Singapore. Follow Bond Supermart on Twitter, Facebook, and Telegram to get first-hand updates on new bond issues, credit updates, and special events. For bond information and articles, visit our website, bondsupermart.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.